0: And while they're going, why don't you grab a Bible that is next to you and uh, find Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah is on page 401. We are uh, in a, a 13-week series walking through our first Old Testament book. And Nehemiah, is, uh, it's easy to look at it. If you're a construction worker, you would really appreciate this kind of a book because it deals with a man who is uh, working with his hands. He's got all kinds of uh, construction issues. He's got all kinds of employee issues. He's got uh, people on the outside who are giving him problems and stuff like this. But, but his task, his task is to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that was destroyed. And the ultimate task is not just the rebuilding of the wall. The task is so that the people of God are restored back to God. So this week we're going to be looking at at chapter 6 of Nehemiah, chapter 6 page 401. Follow along with me as as I read. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at that place in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambaladin for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says, also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. And I said to them, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they wanted to frighten us, saying, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands." Now when I was, went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of him who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. And I said, should such, should such a man as I run away? And what man should I go into the temple and live? As I should go into the temple and live. I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they gave me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things they did, and also the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent more letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letter came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Araf, and the son of Jehonah, and taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. As they spoke of these deeds... In my presence, and reported my words to him. Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. This is the word of God. Well, last week, depending what church you went to, you may have heard a sermon about 9-11. Many uh, of the messiah friends and family were even late coming to church, even though it was 10 o'clock in the morning late coming to church because they were watching the replay of what, was t- what took place on 9-11. And I'm sure for most of us, we can remember the exact place where we were when those planes crashed into the World Trade Center. I remember that day, I was in another building just up the street, teaching, getting ready to teach fifth grade. And there was already confusion and parents were were scared to send their kids to school and kids were being pulled out of school. There was fear that was going to be happening in Chicagoland because we're another big city where a lot of things happen. And there was a great amount of fear and there was terrorism had struck our home. And as a Christian, as Christians, the threat of terrorist attacks is nothing new. And I'm not talking about buildings being taken down. I'm talking about the daily assault on our spiritual lives. There is a a daily terrorist attack on our lives, hoping to weaken, to threaten, to intimidate us, to distract us so that we are no longer focused on the work that is before us. Satan is going to do whatever he can to terrorize, to weaken our Christian walk. And this morning, as as we look at this, it speaks to us today, in 2011. It's almost as it was written for us today. Our enemy uses deception and trickery and schemes to try to destroy us or at least neutralize our work. And if we want to finish the course that is put out before us, if we want to finish well, if we want to work hard to our last breath that is in our lungs for the sake of the glory of God, for His fame and His renown, if we want to make much of God and we want to finish the task that He has given to us, we must learn how to resist Satan's schemes. Satan, and I must say this, Satan is a real being. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not just this kind of mythical beast. He's a real person. First Peter describes him as an animal. A lion who is on the prowl, seeking to destroy us. It's not just our, our mind playing tricks. It is, Satan is a real person. Be, out to destroy God's works, and Nehemiah is almost done with the wall. Almost done. At the beginning of the chapter, all the breaches, all the low spots in the wall were were, were covered up. The, the gates weren't yet there, but he was almost done. And this is Satan's last attempt to stop the wall from being built for. Everything to, you know, the capstones to be put on, the the doors to be hung, the gates to be hung. For Jerusalem to be secure, this is the last-ditch effort that he is trying to stop and detract Nehemiah. But Satan has not given up. Chapter 6, he hits with four schemes. And I'm going to really hit three this morning. An intrigue, a, a way of of deception and innuendos we see innuendos going on intimidation and ultimately infiltration has taken place so this morning our our theme is this to complete the work that god has given us to do we must discern and resist satan's many schemes we must be able to discern with our mind our heart with our brothers and sisters we've got to be able to know god's word well enough that we are be able to say oh This is a distraction. This is God's way of protecting us by giving us his word, but Satan is doing whatever he can to distract us. And then, ultimately, we must resist. Resist. And the beautiful thing about this, this covenant sacrament is that we are not alone. Even in our resisting of our sin issues in our life, we all have them, if you don't think so. Uh, see me afterwards, and a short little talk will say, oh yeah, you've got some power struggles. You, you want to be God yourself. Just ask your wife. You think you're God. And your wife will say, that's right. Then I'll talk to your wife. She thinks she's God. And it's back and forth. Men, the, the reports are out there that pornography is on the rise. They say about three-quarters of men struggle with pornography. So, that is about from over here to right here. Struggling with pornography, whether it be through literature or online. And if we want to go one step further, you know, we we all have adultery issues. It's not just lusting in our mind. Any time that you look lustfully at a person, you have committed adultery. And so we do this, we've got to struggle together. It's not just something that you do independently, it's something we struggle with together, that we put to death these sinful things, Satan's schemes and trickery in our life. So first thing that we see here is that Satan's scheme is first intrigue. Let's see if it pops up there for me. Leah, you got it? First one is his scheme is intrigue, and what was Nehemiah's uh, response? He was firm in his priorities. We see this first in the verses one through four. His first scheme is just absolutely—he's going to intrigue him. Have you ever? How many people have seen the cartoon *Far Side* with Gary Larson? There is uh, a—I wish that I had this cartoon, but there's copyright issues. And anyway there's this one cartoon with two deer I almost had two deers two deer standing next to each other and one of the deer had a a target on him and uh, the other guy just was a plain old chested deer and uh, the guy says bummer of a birthmark Ernie <laughs> bummer of a birthmark every Christian leader every Christian person has a large target on his or her chest. If Satan can bring down the leader, if Satan can bring down you or me, he will cause extensive damage to the Christian testimony and to a Christian flock. And Satan does the exact same things to sabotage the work in the church, sabotage the work in a family. Satan uses just subtle deception and just absolutely plausible-sounding appeals to destroy us. It, listen, it, it happened here. It, come, join us on the plane of Ono, oh and let, let's work our stuff out. You know, for the sake of neighborly good, let, let's kind of work our stuff out. Let's, You know, we want to foster mutual understandings. We want to be really good people. We want to be good neighbors, even though we've been at each other nonstop. We want to have this good relationship, and it all sounds good. It sounds healthy. It sounds like we should be doing. It's the American way. Let's foster good relationships. Let's kind of dumb down everything, right? But Nehemiah rightly perceived that their intent was to ambush him if he went. He uses all these same kind of intriguing games and ways to lure us in, into traps. He's about playing games. He wants to devour us. You, you've seen it in the news of Christian leaders who have been lured into unfaithful relationships. And it destroys. And it feels good and thinks it sounds good at the moment. I, I even participated in a church at one time where the lead pastor of that church was lured into, or he lured her into, breaking their covenant relationship before God. And there was just all kinds of justification and making things right. I even had somebody, he and an elder, sat down with me and just said, tried to explain it and tried to justify it. He was lured into this scheme, and it devastated the church. People left in the droves, just left. Some never went back to church. Satan won that game. There's also this this lure and deception of unity, of Christian unity. And many Christian leaders and pastors get caught into this trap of compromising sound doctrine for the sake of Christian unity. Man, we just want to increase the Christian witness that we all can work together despite our differences. But at the same time, it destroys the very gospel message. For me, as a pastor, I have got to be ever so aware of the relationships that we build as a church with other churches, and even with our own denomination, the relationships that our denomination is making with other denominations and what is going on there. Because Satan just says, listen, let's just, for the sake of unity, brotherly love, let's do the right thing. And what's at stake? The gospel message. And Satan also is just absolutely relentless. It says here that they sent messengers to Nehemiah how many times? Four times with the same message. Keep on going, keep on going out, keep on going out. Time and time and time and time and time, time again. And finally, Nehemiah says again for the same time, same way I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down to you. I'm doing something amazing here and I cannot go down to you. Why would I stop the work, this work that God has given me, and go to you? And we've got to understand. That just because you resist the devil, Satan wants, he doesn't say, all right, well, he's strong enough, she's strong enough, uncle, I'll go on to the next one. Satan keeps going after you. If he finds a soft spot in your Christian walk, in your flesh, in your desires, he will keep going at it until you give. But Nehemiah had resolve. He resisted Satan's intrigues by standing firm on his priorities. I can't come down. I will not come down. He wasn't being arrogant. He just knew what God had called him to. And as a church, as believers in Christ, you have got to be firm on what you believe, resolved. It's not that you aren't open minded, it's just that you are convinced that this is it. I'll talk to you, but I am resolved in my commitments. And I will not give ground. In fact, there's even times where it's I, I can't even give time. I'm not going to give ground, and I'm not going to give time, because I know Satan is trickery, full of trickery, full of it. But then his, his next scheme, Satan's next scheme is innuendo. And Nehemiah's response was what? Just absolute, just rebuttal. Rebuttal coupled with prayer. After four frustrating attempts to lure Nehemiah into this ambush, the enemy just shifted his tactics. And he started sending rumors around about what Nehemiah was supposedly going to be doing nehemiah wanted to be king he sent this open letter and just so you know in that time letters were sealed there was wax and there was a seal that was put on it but it says he sent an open letter and when open letters are sent the messengers open and read well Sambalot and tobiah and geshem the arab they're saying that he's wanting to set himself up as king and he even has prophets in there pronouncing him as king. We, what, what happens? Rumors go out. And if you've been in, involved in the church ever before, you know that how rumors get out. Innuendo. Well, I'm not saying, but I'm saying. Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm not really saying that he's this, but I am kind of saying he's this. And then what happens with that? Well, did you hear what did you hear what she said? She said this, but she didn't really say this. And then the rumor just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And more destructive. Satan spreads absolutely slanderous rumors about godly leaders, about God's people. And Satan knows the nice thing about a rumor is that you only have to launch it with gossip. Let's spread it around. And it spreads like a virus, a cancerous virus from person to person to person. That's why we as a church have a covenant. In our covenant membership, we say that we will not permit gossip. So if I hear Kelly talking, I've got to share a prayer request about Candace Lickle... We gotta say, hold on, hold on a second. Is this, is this a prayer request or are you spreading gossip? Have you, have you gone to the person? Have you dealt with it? Because this is Satan's way of getting into the church and dividing it. And I, even in my short time in Missio Church, I've been accused of certain things as well. I've been accused of being a misogynist. That's not a person who gives great massages. Even though I love those things, a misogynist is somebody who is a woman hater. Well, he's basically just a misogynist. Well, I'm not saying that, but you know, his view about women and leadership—apparently, he, he hates women. Are you serious? I love my wife. We have godly leaders. We have a female deacon who is in our church leading. We have two. Strong women, Amanda and, and Kelly, leading our children's ministry. We've got Sarah Phillips who leads our hospitality ministry. I've got a strong, powerful, loving wife who is a strong leader of a Christian ministry. I love godly women who are using their gifts for the glory of God. But when those rumors get out, they spread like cancer. And what did Nehemiah do? He resisted those rumors with truth and prayer. That's it. Truth and prayer. One of my favorite books that I'm reading is called uh, Lectures to My Students. It's a thick book about Ye by uh, um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And in it, in in a chapter called The Blind Eye and the Deaf Ear, he wrote... uh, that in most cases, pastors let such rumors die a natural death. He said this, Rumors usually carry their own refutation somewhere about them and sting themselves to death. Some lies especially have a peculiar smell which betrays their rottenness to every honest nose. Your blameless life will be your best defense. And those who have... Seen it will not allow you to be condemned so readily as your slanderers expect. So the best thing, that best defense he had, Nehemiah had, and a Christian leader has, is a blameless life. Bring your accusations, but look at my life. And the congregation, the brothers and sisters in Christ are going to say, there's nothing. Your rumor stinks of death. Stinks of death. But, then he adds, yet there are exceptions to the general rule where distinct, definitive, public charges are made against a man, he is bound to answer them and answer them in the clearest and most open manner. To decline all investigation is such a case, particularly to plead guilty and the general public ordinarily regard a refusal to reply as proof of guilt. When a Christian leader is attacked, and there is a need to respond, and he does not respond. It's proof positive something is up. When accusations do come, an elder or a pastor must respond publicly to the charge. A man's character is critical to resisting these these schemes, these ways of sucking. People in and how did he respond? He got to the end, he, he responded back to them, but then he says, But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Give me strength, God, to complete the work. Give me, I, I've responded, I've they've tried to suck me in. Just give me strength to persevere, to complete the task. Give me strength, leaders, particularly. Christians in general must pray for God's wisdom as to whether to remain silent or respond to false accusations. But however we respond, prayer and keeping on with the work that God has given us is always the right move. Prayer and keeping on, keeping on is critical The enemy checked Nehemiah with the schemes of with intrigue and innuendo. And Nehemiah resisted with resolve. He was firm and forthright with the truth and prayer, but Satan still didn't give up. You see the next one. The next one is that Satan's scheme was intimidation. He's going to intimidate him. And Nehemiah's response was fearlessly obeying God. You see this in in verses 10 through 14, where he, he he was resolved. They're going to intimidate him. And he just, what does Satan do? He uses even religious people to scare us into wrong behavior that would ruin our reputation. He combines intimidation and he combines it with fear. And there was a prophet who was making, he came to him and said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I think it is wise for you to do this to come into the temple courts i want you to come into the temple courts and we're going to shut the door because at night they are coming out to get you at night when the whole city is quiet and defenses are down or minimal the enemy is going to come so come into the temple into the temple courts and let's shut the door fear and if you don't do this you're going down. Fear and intimidation. Even using a religious person to lure him into bad behavior. That is why it is critical as elders. Elders, according to 1 Timothy 3, says that an elder must be able to teach the Word. To be able to teach the Word means you need to know the Word. So that you, when the day of temptation comes, you can stand and stand firm. No matter what comes your way, you can stand. When everything else is done, Ephesians 5, or 6, 5, 6, 6. And on that day, when you have stood, you stand. You stand firm. and You press forward. No matter what is being pressed in against you, you've got the full armor of God on, and you are pressing forward. No matter what is being put before you. You see, Nehemiah had to know the Word of God well enough because he knew that if he, as a regular lay person, a regular Joe, would step into the temple doors and have the door shut, he would be breaking every law that God has given him. The only thing even a priest can do or a lay person can do is if there was to be found in the temple courts was to cling onto what's called the horns of the altar for mercy if an accident had happened and there was death you cling to those the altar so that you are safe and Nehemiah goes wait you want me to go into the temple itself and shut the doors hmm something is not right you're using intimidation and twist, twisting God's own words. But Nehemiah resisted intimidation with just fearless fearless obedience. Fearless obedience and prayer again. So he said, are you saying that a man like me should flee? And I should go into the temple to save my life? I will not go in. And then he, then he discerned. That God did not send Shemaiah, this prophet, but it was Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And he knew, he discerned God's will, he discerned God's word. So Nehemiah refused the counsel and reverted back to the work and to prayer. Back to work and prayer. And what was the result? 52 days, the city of Jerusalem had its wall rebuilt. But there was one last thing. Satan said, you know what? I couldn't get him in these three other ways. I'm going to do one last thing. I'm going to infiltrate with Tobiah and his relationships. I'm going to get in There was, the victory was the wall was built. Satan said, here's my last ditch effort. He was persistent and gained victory for God. The task that was set before him was done. It was completed. It was beautiful. It was perfect. And you would think that the wall is done, so Satan throws up his little red hands and his little horned head and just says, well, it's done, on to the next city. But he doesn't. It's not a story of the Jews lived happily ever after. Satan lost the battle, but he didn't give up, and he doesn't today. Even with Jesus Christ crucified, paying for our sins, taking the place of sinners, bearing the wrath of God so that we can have access to God, Jesus took the weight of all your sins, my sins, so that we can have access. You would think that Satan says, well, it's done. I'm going to just give it up. Put me in, in chains and just throw me into hell because you know what? It's all over. It's done. But what does he do? He keeps going at it. He keeps going at you. And many of you can testify to this. You might not want to publicly, But even the moment that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you go, Lord, at that moment, you may be weeping and crying where your eyes are open and you go, I get it, I get it, Jesus. You are are mine and I am yours. You did this for me. This is beautiful. This is heart-wrenching. This is beautiful. This leads me to worship. My whole life is yours. But even after that point, you can testify that Satan still comes at you. There's moral failure. There's weaknesses. There's lies and deceptions of your own. And Satan is nothing but happy with that. And so what is our response? One, I think we just got to understand that there's no such thing as absolute perfection. The moment that you give to your life to Jesus Christ is not a perfecting moment in the sense that, oh, well, it's done. I can just go about my life now. I gave my life. It's an ongoing process of becoming more holy and putting to death those areas of weakness and sin in your life and just killing it daily, killing it and being aware of that. C.S. Lewis says that we've got to be aware of the... Um, cesspool that is within you have a cesspool oh righteous person you churchgoer you have an internal cesspool i don't care what church you go to what denomination you go to uh belong to i don't care how long you've been a christian if it's been from a baptized moment as a child or as a baptized moment as an adult you have an inner cesspool that needs to be exposed and your nose needs to be aware of your inner cesspool Because it's an ongoing process of becoming holy. Recovering the image of God that has been so marred with our sin. And we must also, what else do we do? We also must not put confidence in our work. But only God who is able to do a deep transforming work in our life. We have got to trust him more than we trust ourselves. If you think that you can kill it by yourself, you've missed it. The only way that we become holy is by cooperating with God. As His Spirit convicts us of sin and reveals these things and opens our nose to our inner cesspool, we say, God, I need you even more again today. I need to trust in you even more today because I am unable to kill this lust in my life, this lying in my life, this inadequacy in my life, this lack of leadership in my life, this, 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 this. I need you, Jesus, because I can't do it. And it's true for all of us. Absolutely true. Because we know that when God's people compromise with the world, when we compromise with the world and with our own flesh, it hinders God's work. It hinders His work in your personal life, your marital life, your relational life with coworkers. It it hinders your, your work in His world, in the workplace that you are in. It hinders His work in the world called planet Earth. We need today, tomorrow, we need our Savior more than we need just hard work. The church, Missio Dei Church in your church, and if you don't have a church, our doors are open. The church needs Jesus. The one who Sacrificed it all so that we may have life now and life eternally. And trust Him fully with our life. There's a cute story of a lady who never spoke ill of anyone. And a friend told her, I believe that you would say something even good about the devil. Well, she replied, you certainly have to admire his persistence. And she's right. She is pers- he is persistent. Persistent. We must fight the good fight of faith by discerning and resisting his schemes. The battle internal and the battle external. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, a meal that is reserved for those who have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, as we we come to this meal as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to do some deep heart examination of how have we succumbed to Satan's schemes in this past week, or maybe even this morning, as you're aware of your own personal cesspool, have you asked forgiveness from the one who has redeemed you? Have you asked even forgiveness of your brothers, your sisters in Christ? because of the fallout that it has created. Your husband, your wife, your children, maybe a coworker, a fellow student. And as we come to the table, all who confess Jesus Christ as their Lord are welcome because this table is for sinners who are being redeemed, who have been and are being redeemed, are being changed into His likeness. It's well. The table is open to sinners like me who trust again today in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, you are the God who spoke and the world was created. Just by your, your simple words, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and the water and the trees and the animals and Adam and Eve were created and put into existence. Lord, that speaks of your power, your strength. God, and another beautiful aspect about you is that you know all. Not only are you all present, you are all-knowing. And so, Lord, because you are Father, you know the hearts of your children. You know our struggles, the the dark closets in our life that we wish the doors would just remain shut. But, Lord, your desire is to open those doors and pour out your light of love into our life so that sin can hide no more, so that you can do your restoring work in our lives. So God, I, I pray for these people here this morning. For those who are suffering mistrust in you, God, and the church, Lord, would you restore their hearts and their minds. For those who have this morning broken relationships, both here and abroad, God, would you be the restoring Father who heals and binds up our wounds. God, for those who are lonely and friendless, God, would you be the friend of sinners to us even this morning. And Lord, may we cling to you more than to this world. God, for those of us this morning who are Are suffering with our own sin. Lord, where we are just caving in day in and day out, moment by moment, it just seems to come relentlessly after us. God, I pray, Lord, that by Your power that You can break the chains of sin that hold us down. Lord, give us a laser-like focus in killing the sin in our life as You bring it to our mind. Lord, just just may we have a bead on this sin and cooperate with You and the church in killing the sin so that we may be raised with Christ and setting our mind on things that are above. And Lord, as we come to this table, may we be reminded, may we be reminded that Your mercies are new every morning. That the gospel is good yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That it is continually changing us. And may we come, Lord, with great joy knowing that the price has been paid and that we are no longer in bondage to sin and death. But we are free to live in you.